I'm going to tell you a story of a time when I was really awkward. And it's a good way to start. It was about, I think it's about seven years ago. And we had heard in Milton, where we live, that a youth center there was looking for volunteers, and specifically female volunteers. And so we had kind of heard this through a friend, and we met with the director of the youth center, my husband Nathan and I, to just chat about what it was about. And um, they needed women in particular. And so I thought, oh, I like, I like kids. I had taught high school. I like youth. Like, I could do this. So I thought, sure, I'll say yes to this and just show up and see what happens, volunteering at the same center. And so I don't know why I thought that that was just going to be a good idea <laughs> when I showed up at this youth center. And lo and behold, it is all um, young teenage boys, like grade eight and nine teenage boys, very interested in hockey and basketball and video games and just things that I literally know nothing about. Um, I'm really not good at doing, <laughs> I can't even pretend to be good at doing. Um, and they're like giant, these giant boys. And so I was like, okay, neat. Like, what am I doing here? Very awkward. Like, I'm not even just saying that. I was very awkward arriving in that space. So, but I had committed to doing it, and I'm very much a person of like, if I say I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do it. So I kept going, and it just kept being awkward for several weeks. Once in a while, there was one girl, and I was like, let's be friends. <laughs> let's be friends, you and I. Also awkward in a different way. Um, I just kept going, and I was trying to think, like, what, how can this be better? What can I do? How can I be here in a way that's good? And um, all of a sudden, I had this idea of that I could bake, that I could bake. I actually don't even cook. My husband cooks in our house, but I do really like baking. And I was like, oh, I could bake. I bet these teenage boys <laughs> would like baking if I brought cookies. Then we could be friends, maybe. So I started to bake, and I started to bring it, and it was still awkward, like really for a long time. I'm not kidding. They would, I, like, I would set down the cookies, and they would maybe eat them later when I wasn't nearby. Like, it was a bit of a strange thing, but I was just hanging out. I was just hanging out. I was just being there. And, but what started to happen over time is that things really began to shift in a couple of different directions. And the first thing that happened was that things shifted for me. And so on Thursday afternoons, it became a part of my rhythm that I would bake for Resoul, is the name of this youth drop-in center where I was volunteering. I would do my baking for Resoul, um, and I would pray for the kids that were going to be there. And I would pray for myself, and I would pray for my family, and I would sing and just bake these cookies on Thursday. And Thursday afternoon became this beautifully holy time for me in the week where I was spending this time because I was going to be awkward at this youth drop-in center later in the day. So that's the first thing that shifted. The second thing that shifted was that over time of just showing up, sometimes really awkwardly playing sports, like other people can attest to that, uh, playing card games of randomness um, that just all over the place, exploding kittens and all kinds of weird things, playing video games I'm not good at, <laughs> um, and showing up with baked goods week after week. Over time, I started to just accidentally be in conversations with some of these teenage boys about real things that were going on in their lives, things that were happening at school, things that were happening in their families. 
Fast forward many years later of having the opportunity to hang out weekly with some of these students who are now, most of them are in second year university and we see them when they come back to visit. Um, I have been given permission because of showing up awkwardly for a lot of weeks in a row to be a part of their life. And I have gained the privilege of them being a part of my life. They know my kids, they know my family, um, connected. And it has become a beautiful thing that started very awkwardly. And so I tell you that story because it has informed a lot of what I have learned, a lot of what I have internalized about what it means um, to serve, about what it means to be present, about what it means to move towards compassion, which is what we're talking about tonight. So welcome to the last week in our series of Being Us. We are in the midst of grounding ourselves again, talking again about what it is that makes us who we are, as a body, as a church, as followers in the way of Jesus. And so in this series, this is our fourth week, we've walked through um, the central focus on Jesus in week one we talked about. We've talked about our commitment to being active peacemakers in our world. We've talked about our collective heart to be people of real lived out community. And today we're rounding it out by talking about compassion. And so we wanna ask the question, what? Does it mean, what does it look like for compassion to be a part of our identity? If we're lumping it in with these four weeks, this series of being us, what does it mean for compassion to be a thing that defines us as a collective people? And in the meeting house, we have such good bones to work with in our DNA when it comes to compassion. Over lots of different years from lots of wise people, we have had good teaching on this. We have had good ideas. We have had good information and learning in this area for a lot of years in a lot of different directions. We have gleaned from the expertise of other people. We have had good language. We have had good intellectual structure. We have the bones of being a people of compassion really solidly, really solidly. And there's no reason to pretend otherwise. But I have also found in some spaces, in some pockets as we're trying to work this out that we haven't maybe quite put all the flesh on our bones of what it means to take the good solid things that we know in our heads and move it into our lived out experience. And so the last time that I was here uh, teaching, we were talking about head, heart, and hands and having this integration across these different pieces of who we are and who we've been made to be. And it just was coming up for me again so much as I was thinking about this topic. We say yes to being people of compassion. We say yes to loving people, to meeting people in their places of need. And we have a lot of knowledge and language about what that could look like but we wanna to continue to do the work together as a church to move it from our heads deeper into our hearts, deeper into our an understanding of what that really looks like and move it into our bodies and into our lives, into our whole selves so that we're living and moving and breathing compassion. It's so what I want. And I know it very much is the heart of our church to move in that direction. So a few weeks ago, as we were talking about that, moving it into our heads, and I was thinking about how we connect that into the area of compassion. And Jesus refers to the idea of being present with the least of these. And compassion is this place where we're 
the presence of how we are with each other allows for this kind of integration into our bodies, into the way that we're living. We want to move who we want to say we want to be into the actual experience of what we do as a church. So I think, as I said before, it's really true that we are a church that has been defined with a giant heart for compassion. It has been a strong emphasis for us, a strong thing that we have rallied around as a collective, even prioritizing as a large group because we noticed and identified that if we come together around compassion, that we can do more. We can have a bigger impact when we kind of consolidate our resources and then give. So we've had a huge impact on local ministries, on global ministries, and there's no reason to downplay that, to deny that, to pretend like it hasn't been good. Like I just have no desire (laughs) to give that impression at all. We are not starting from scratch in this area. We have so much good work that has been done as we have come together in the past. And we want to celebrate that. We want to notice that. We want to remember that about who we are, about who we have been, about who we want to continue to be. It's so good. It's so, so good. And I think in some of our spaces, as we continue, maybe in this week or in other weeks, we'll have opportunities to hear local stories about the partners that we have been with, about the impact that we have had in the different areas where we find ourselves. We want to take time to remember, to listen, to notice, to celebrate the good things that have, been, that have happened. And again, as a church, we have partnered um, with organizations. We have partnered together with them really intentionally, deciding we don't need to start this from scratch. It's actually really good and right for us to find people that are already engaging in the work of compassion in different areas and to partner with their expertise to continue and amplify that good work because other people know a lot more about it than we do. And so we don't have to come up with the ideas. We don't have to start it. We have entered into those partnerships, I think, with a a good degree of humility, I think, with a posture of learning, of coming alongside. And that is another good thing to celebrate and I think to carry on in. It's good for us to be alongside other people in the kingdom and to not feel that this is something that we're doing on our own. And while it's good to partner with these other organizations, I think that one of the fallouts of that choice has also been maybe that sometimes there's a bit of distance. So just hear me say both things, <laughs> that it's, it's not that it was wrong. I think it's really good. It's a really good approach, but just it's also good for us to notice and be aware that a consequence potentially for our church is that we've been a bit removed from the places where we've entered into compassion. Because we've said, organizations that we're partnering with, you're the ones who know how to do this, so we're gonna support you financially, so important. We're gonna support you with our resources, with volunteers, with time, but we're gonna do it from over here while you're the ones that are on kind of the front lines serving and ministering and will partner with you, but you carry on doing the work. And so there's things that are so good and rich and important about that, but it has also potentially created this gap between us and the people that we are needing, wanting to serve and be present with. And I think we can sometimes see how that plays out and what our churches experience 
of compassion has, be, has been. So when we talk about those bones and this good structure, in my mind then, when I think about putting the flesh on those bones of moving more into being people of compassion, of being a church of compassion, it looks like figuring out the ways to move closer to the people that we are engaging with, to be with people, to be alongside, to be nearer to each other, I think the invitation of the Spirit for us right now is to continue to grow in our understanding that compassion is something that we are called to be, to be a people of compassion, not something that we're called to do. So this is not a task that we are checking off. This is not a goal that we are accomplishing. This is not even a dollar amount that we are trying to reach. Not that any of those things are necessarily bad, but they're not enough. They're not the fullness of where we want to go. They're not the fullness of what God has invited us to. We need to put some flesh on these good bones and move ourselves closer, move this into our bodies, move this into our lives. And again, in the goodness that we have had in our church, you can see this in the language that we have chosen because we call it compassion on purpose. And it's another good thing for us to recognize, for us to value again. We call it compassion because this is love in action. This is active loving with. Rather than what might be more traditional language of calling this mission, to be in missions, right? And mission denotes more of a task, more of a thing to do, more of a thing to accomplish, more of a thing to set out and achieve and complete and then be done. I've completed my mission. Where being people of compassion is ongoing, is holistic, is thorough, is a way of being instead of something to do. So we say it with our words and hooray for that. It's good. We have this basis of understanding that this is not a program, that this is about people, that that needs to be a core identity of who we are as a church. But now we need to make our way match our words so that we are living into who we say we want to be, that we are living into who we say we are. And the good basis of this is coming right from Jesus. Thank goodness, right from Jesus. And so we want to turn our attention to some of his words that he is speaking to his disciples about what it means, what it looks like to be with the least of these. So if you have your Bibles and you want to get them out, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read through a chunk together there in just a minute. Matthew 25, we're going to start at verse 31. And just while you're turning there, I'll just mention for a minute uh, where we're headed over the next couple of months. As we wrap up this series and move into the next chunk, uh, we're going to be diving into the book of Acts over the next months, the next several weeks. We're going to be looking together at the birth of the church. And so for our church in a continued season where we're looking again, we're looking afresh at who we are, at what we're moving towards, at what our identity is, to me, it seems so good and fitting that we're going to be looking at the story of the early church in the Bible, people that in real time, in the first time, <laughs> were taking the teachings of Jesus and trying to figure out what does this actually look like as we translate it into life together, as we move it into the story of our lives. And so we're going to be looking at that in Acts together over the next couple of months 
um, and taking out what the spirit, what Jesus wants to say to us from that. So I'm looking forward to that too. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25. So we're going to start at verse 31 and we're going to read a chunk together here, verse 31 to 46, and then we'll kind of hone in on a couple of verses as we go. But let me read it for us this first year. But when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So this is a hard-hitting chunk of scripture that is laying it out with repetition, with examples, trying to drive the point home of what Jesus is saying. He is talking about how the way of kingdom looks a certain way, will play out with certain kinds of interactions, and the way that is not the kingdom will also play out in a clear way. So we see that Jesus is using this language of the least of means. If you look again at verse 40, where he's making the connection, the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. And in some other translations, this I'm reading from NLT, and some other translations, the words here, I think are good to note too. Of the least of me's other language for it can be, for my people, no matter how unimportant they seemed, was in a different translation. Or in another translation, it says, for those who were often ignored or overlooked. When these were the people that you are seeing, that you are caring for, that you are meeting the need that they have in that moment, Jesus says, it is as if you are doing it for me. This is how I receive it. This is what I have called you to. This is the invitation. Jesus makes it personal, a direct connection between our care for those who are in need and our love and presence to him this direct tie to the people that are there. And let's turn for a second too and look at Isaiah 58. I can read it for you, but you can turn there too if you like. Isaiah 58, chapter six and nine. These are other verses that just 
draw it out so clearly for us that this is the expectation of God on his people, that this is the invitation of what our lives should look like, of what our priority should be, of what our presence to each other should be exemplified as. This Isaiah 58 is talking about true and false worship, true and false worship. And so in verse five, he's talking about, you know, how, it, how you could fast, what it could look like. You're trying to appear humble. But he says in verse six, no, this is the kind of fasting I want to free those who are wrongly imprisoned, to lighten the burden of those who work for you, to let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people, to share your food with the hungry, and give shelter to the homeless, to give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. I love how that is added in there. It's very relevant. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward when this is what your life looks like and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. When you're acting this way, In verse nine, then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Because when we're living into the invitation of God on our life to be people of compassion, we are close to the heart of God. We are near to where God is. We are being the people that he has made us to be. So he says, here I am because you have moved close to me by the way that you are living, by your obedience, by the way that you are serving by being with the least of these. Here I am, here I am. And this is a piece of what stood out to me from my experience at Resol that I was trying to highlight for you. It wasn't just that things changed for the students that I was engaging with, things changed for me. As I moved myself towards that in awkwardness, (laughs) I began to experience the presence of God in a richer way. It's me that is changed as much as anything else as I move into this invitation, as I move into this way of living. Do we hear this invitation? Do we receive this call on who we are meant to be as God's people? Do we take seriously that we need to live into who we say we are? Do we wanna make our ways match our words? Because if we do, because if we do, it will change our lives. It will change our lives. It has to change our lives. And so when we say, yes, Jesus, I wanna be a person of compassion. I wanna be someone who is living out these invitations. We need to know what it means. We need to know what we're saying yes to. We need to understand that our lives will be shifted and changed if we're gonna make space to be able to be with people. This is talking about presence. This is talking about being alongside so that we know when someone is hungry. We know when someone needs clothing. We know when someone doesn't have a place to stay because we're with them, because we're there to know them and then to be able to give what we have to meet their need and that we will be changed as a part of that process. This is not happening from a distance. This is not happening from over here. If we want to be the people who are living into this invitation. Presence matters. Being close matters. Moving nearer. 
and it's people that matter. This is not a project. This is not a task. This is not a checklist. This is not a thing to complete. This is people. This is people, and we are called to be together, to move closer together to the people that are around us, the people that are already in our lives in all kinds of ways, to slow ourselves down, to be awake, to be present with them, to notice the things that are needed, and to move towards it in awkwardness, probably really a lot of the time, that's how it's going to start. But we move closer and we stay there until we find, until we can figure out a way to help, until we can figure out a way to be there even more, until we can start to see ourselves changed <laughs> by doing that movement. Practicing this matters, and it will change our lives. We want it to change our lives, but we also need to be ready for the fact that it will change our lives. So let's talk about what it could look like, and I want to read you a story. I was going to try to tell you this story, but then I decided it's better for me to just read it to you because I won't remember all the parts. This is a story that was also ringing very true to me about if we start to think about how we do this, how do we move closer? How do we do this with intention? This is a beautiful story that I was reading in this book. A church in the Toronto suburbs decided to do a care ministry for the poor in a very impoverished urban section of the city. They drove several miles each way every Sunday afternoon, bringing food and clothing from their church. They would arrive at the building, set up the clothing to distribute according to need and warm the food to be served. They would set up tables and arrange the food nicely on the tables. They would read a scripture and then give thanks and say a blessing over the food. They would set up a food line and those from the suburban church would serve on one side of the table and the homeless and needy would line up on the other side to receive the food. The suburbanites would try to talk with those who were homeless or struggling. After a few hours, they would clean up and depart in time to go home, relax with their families and prepare for their own upcoming busy weeks. This went on for months until one Sunday afternoon, a few people started to evaluate what was happening at the soup kitchen. They asked the recipients of the ministry what they liked about the program. Was the food or clothing enough? What would they change if they could? So lovely that they asked. Surprisingly, the homeless and hurting people said things like this. We'd like to bring food too. We have food stamps, we have gift cards, and we'd like to bring food and share it as well. We'd also like to help clean up. We'd like to serve you sometimes. Stunned and surprised, the people from the suburbs changed the whole approach to their food pantry ministry. They now asked the homeless and poor if they could fellowship with them. The homeless and the poor helped to set up the tables the way that they preferred, that made sense to them. Those without homes and Sorry, those without homes and the poor now served those from the suburbs and they shared tables together. The ensuing dynamic reshaped everything that went on between the different groups of people. Listen to this. Soon such deep relationships started to develop that some 20 or so people from the suburbs moved into the neighborhood of this deeply distressed neighborhood. And a few years later, a church grew up in that place. People's lives on all sides of the table were changed. Kingdom broke out. Isn't it gorgeous? Doesn't your heart just say, yes? Yes, this is what we want. When we say we want to be people of compassion, this is what we want. But look at how their lives were changed. 
Look at how their lives were changed. This went from a Sunday afternoon to a move to a new neighborhood. And, and that's what we're talking about. But we don't need to be afraid. <laughs> we don't need to be scared. We don't need to be nervous about that kind of change. We want to say yes to this kind of change. We want to be this kind of people. If we want our ways to match our words, we want to expect this kind of transformation in who God is calling us to be. We want to see it move us. We want to see it grow us. We want to see it make us into the church that we long to be. I want to see it happen. I want to see it happen. Close to home, it's a good story that shifts the way we think about it, the coming of kingdom. I just want to talk for a minute before we start moving to wrapping up. I want to talk for a minute about what about when we're not geographically close? Because this matters too. And I don't want to pretend that it's not a thing that we should think about. I think it matters to move close. We want to move near where we can. Sometimes we're really far away geographically from the people who have deep need. And I think we also need to think about that because it is good and right for us on this side of the world to pay attention to other parts of the world where things are really different. When we have so much to give, we have so much to give. And we need to be aware of that. So it's hard for us to move close It's different for us to move close when someone's geographically further away. But I think it's good for us to consider still how this can be different in the way that we engage. So it makes sense for us to partner with people who are present there. And again, this is a good thing in the history of the Meeting House. We have asked people to go and be present for seasons and learn and find out who are the organizations and people that are already on the ground with relational presence, with real care for the people, and how do we partner with them to be a part of that kind of closeness, even from a distance, if you track with what I'm saying. How do we support that kind of presence when we can't be there personally? So it's good. We have been intentional about that holistic approach. But I think the next step for us, that's how we're doing it in a big way, right? Like as a collective, that's how we're doing it. But what does it mean for us as individuals? When we think about supporting financially from a distance, when we think about supporting with resources from a distance, how else can we move closer? How can we learn more about the people that we're helping and engaging with? How can we learn the stories? How can we learn what God is doing there? How can we spend the time to know, to be alongside. I think it's good for us to listen to listen to ways that other people have tried to do that and been creative, to look for opportunities to practice moving closer, even when we're geographically far away. It's still really important and really good. So where do we go from here? So where do we go from here? Here are a few ideas, a few thoughts to mull over, to chew on as we go from here. The first one is, not a surprise at this time, it is to move closer. It is to move closer. Proximity, mutuality, alongsideness. How do we strive for this? How do we move to this? Quincy was talking last week when he was talking about community, how for community, proximity matters. You gotta be in each other's space, time together, closeness, being in each other's lives. And this is the same. And these things go hand in hand. As we are with people in their lives, we will begin to know 
the ways that we can help them as they will begin to know that for us too. But in the spaces where there are people that are the least of these, there are people that are marginalized, there are people that have less as we move closer and don't just look for a way to quickly check it off, but spend time, be with, learn their stories. Don't assume to know what's going to help, but be alongside that we will find those opportunities as we move closer. The second thing is to give more. And this is not just simply stated. The truth is we all have something more to give. And what that is and what that looks like will vary depending on who we are and what our situation is. And that is totally fine. There's a phrase again from Meeting House to Days of Past that says we want to live simply so that we can give radically. And this is where we see that our lives should be affected in an ongoing way. If we feel like we do not have any extra to give right now, whether it's finances or other resources or even just time or capacity, we just feel like, no, actually, I've got nothing extra right now. Then I think it is good and right for us to look at our lives and see what we can shift in order to create that margin. How do we change the way that we are choosing to live so that we have more to offer and share? Because Jesus says, When you did it for these, you did it for me. Jesus says, if you are my people, this is what it looks like for the kingdom to come. So how do we shift the way that we're living so that we can live into the kingdom that we are called to? And are we ready? Are we ready to say yes to that? Are we ready? The third one is that we wanna remember why. We wanna remember why. We are not doing this out of guilt. We are not doing this out of obligation. We are doing this because this is the invitation that Jesus has given to his people. We are doing this because this is who we say we are. This is who Jesus says we are called to be. This is the way of kingdom and it is for us all. It is not just for the people over here. It is for us as we do it. This is how we are transformed (laughs) into who Jesus is calling us to be. This is how we move closer to him as we move closer to each other. And the early church caught a wave of this. I'm gonna read to you from Acts chapter four as a little preview of where we're headed in the next couple of weeks. Acts chapter four, starting in verse 32 says this, this is the early church. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. What? They felt, sorry, I'm confusing myself, but just hear it again. They felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those, to give to those in need. The early church saw this direct correlation between what Jesus did, this new life that Jesus is bringing in the resurrection, this new way to be, the way of kingdom. And they're like, we get it, we see it. And now it shifts the whole way that we're living. It shifts the whole way that we're engaging. It shifts how we're together. There are no needy people among them. Can we even imagine? Can we even imagine living into this way? Do we hear this invitation for ourselves? Not with pressure, 
not with guilt, with so much purpose, with so much purpose of who Jesus has called us to be, with so much expectation of how God will meet us as we say yes to who he has called us to be as people of compassion, as a way of being. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for how you meet us exactly where we are. Jesus, we thank you for the, the richness that is in the story of our church, the story of who we are, of understanding this, of so much good intentional work of learning and partnering and giving generously. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunities that we have had and for the way that we have grown and been changed because of that. And Lord, we come now and say, we wanna be evermore the people that you are inviting us to be. We wanna be a people of compassion. We wanna be people who are with, people who move closer, people who give more, people who remember that this is what you have called us to be. And we need your help. We need your help, Lord. So come and continue to show us the way we pray and let help us to respond in obedience, Jesus. Help us to make our ways match our words. Help us to live more and more into this invitation upon who you say that we are. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.